You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Today's message is entitled, How to Walk in the Spirit, Part 2. So we did Part 2, Part 1 last week. This week it's Part 2. And I'm going to continue to teach based on that infographic that I made up. And this infographic summed up many of the things that we were talking about before, uh, uh, actually after we started to come back to church physically. And I have a few more of these. I don't have too many. I've got about, I've got about five of them. So if you didn't get the How to Walk in the Spirit infographic, if you didn't get that, um, I've got about five. So um, can I ask uh, <laughs> V if it's okay? If you get, so just raise your hand if you never got one last week. You can get one this week. How to walk in the Spirit, and this is 10 ways to be naturally supernatural. 10 ways to be naturally supernatural. Last week, we covered walk softly, walk simply, walk slowly, walk one step at a time, and walk sanctified. This week, we're going to be talking about walk scripturally, walk stately, and walk sacrificially. That's what we're going to focus on this week. I'm going to pray again, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to read Isaiah 61. So, Father, we give you praise and glory for your word because you breathed and your word came into being. You moved on the prophets and the apostles by your Holy Spirit, and they were inspired to write these words. They were from heaven. They were sent from you. And may this morning your word be sent into our hearts like an arrow, like a sword. But also, Lord, let your fresh anointing, let your fresh anointing come upon your people to heal us and restore us and let us know the power and the restoration of the gospel. And all that you did, Jesus, on the cross, be glorified and praised and give me grace to share in your mighty name. Amen. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. And then if you can put your hands on your hearts and pray this nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. So I want to start off by looking at Isaiah 61. I had not planned to go to this passage, but as we were worshiping, the Lord, the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. 
And I want us to see the power of the good news to restore us, especially restoring our souls. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. This is prophetic of Jesus, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Anointed One, who is anointed with the Holy Spirit to do this very thing. And we also, in Him, are anointed to do this very thing. But let's listen to it again. The Spirit of the Lord. Say the Spirit of the, of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. So we're talking today about how to walk in the Spirit. And one of the key things about how to walk in the Spirit is we actually need that anointing of the Spirit to heal us and restore us so that we can walk in Him, strengthen our legs spiritually, heal our hearts, heal our minds. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. The good news is another uh, way of saying gospel. The meaning of gospel, as many of us know, is good news. I like to constantly share that and remind us of that. To bring good news to the afflicted, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives. So this good news is all about binding up the brokenhearted. It's all about bringing liberty, freedom to the captives and freedom to prisoners. So to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. The middle point that we'll, we'll be making in this message, and we may even start here, is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk stately or to walk nobly. So when someone is freed from captivity, now they can hold up their head high and they can walk uprightly and not in a defeated, despondent way. And this is what, when we really have a revelation of the good news, this is what happens. Verse 2, to, pro to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, or the Hebrew word here is a turban, a turban instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, this is the anointing of joy, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise, or this, this garment of praise instead of the spirit of fainting or emptiness. So they will be called oaks of righteousness. The word there, oaks, is a, a mighty tree of righteousness. This is what happens when the power of the good news is operating in our lives. When the anointing is healing us and restoring us. And the only way we can walk the Christian walk is, is in the power of the Spirit. There's no other way. Jesus walked by walking in the Spirit. We are called to walk in the Spirit. And we saw that last week, walking in the Spirit is walking in the presence of God. 
It's walking in the power of God. It's walking in the personhood or personality of God. It's walking in that intimacy with God. So we are not walking like normal, ordinary people or trying to figure out our problems like normal, ordinary people because we are not, quote, unquote, normal. We are set apart. We are holy. We are anointed by God. We are not just like everybody else. We have the power of the Holy Spirit with us. We have God with us. Amen? So we will be called mighty trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And then it goes on that when we are healed, when we are restored, when our mourning is comforted by the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news, which go together, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. I'm one of those strangers here. Though I'm an Australian citizen, just want to remind you, I made that choice many years ago. But you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. So usually one of my practices is to take a few Hebrew verses or at least one and translate it in the morning. I'll write it out in Hebrew and then I'll write it out in English. One of the things that I noticed when I was translating Isaiah 61.3 was that the whole picture there, and it can be missed in English, though you may be able to see it. The whole picture there is that God is exchanging our uh, filthy garments or our ordinary garments for garments of the royal priesthood. It, the turban, it speaks of the priest, the high priest wore that turban. And the oil, the priest was anointed with oil and this mantle of praise, they wore these garments. The priest wore garments to give them a nobility to give them that stateliness. And so when you walk in the Spirit, you walk stately because you are free. And I want to show this to you in Leviticus 26, 13. Leviticus 26, 13. And and there's other... um, I, be, I want to begin to show you this through Leviticus 26, 13. And then there's another verse I'd like to go to. So look at what it says here about God's people when they were set free from Egypt and the slavery in Egypt. And that's the metaphor for us. We'll start in verse 12, uh, Leviticus 26, 12. And we'll start in verse 11. How about verse 11? <laughs> Oh, we'll start in chapter 1. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we'll be here all day. <laughs> we'll start in verse 11. 26, 11. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. And this has been fulfilled in such a way in the new covenant that God's dwelling is within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have the healer within you. You have the comforter within you. You have the power of God within you. You have the presence of God within you. 
And my soul will not reject you. Verse 12. I will also walk among you and be your God. And you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So here he has broken that yoke of oppression over us through the good news of the gospel so that we can walk uprightly, stately, nobly, not, oh, woe is me. And I sometimes fall into that, and so that's why I constantly remind myself of this. We need to remind ourselves of this because there are people in this world that will hate us. The devil attacks us. There is suffering. There is pain. There is sacrifice. And yet in all the sacrifice and the pain and suffering that's in this world and what people do to us because they don't even realize it, but many times they are influenced by demonic spirits to attack us. But in all of this, I can walk uprightly. I can lift up my head. I am free. I am part of God's royal priesthood. And so I am, I am blessed. Amen? I am blessed. Now there's another verse I like to go to here. Exodus 28.2. Exodus 28.2. Instead of writing out my notes, these last couple of messages, I've kind of drew, drew, I drew them out in the visual layout because uh, I sense that the Lord uh, wants me to just be led by His Holy Spirit. I hope even if I write out my notes, I'm led by the Holy Spirit, but just doing something different as I sense the Lord wants me to do. Exodus 28, 2. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. This was the garments of the priesthood. They were for honor, for beauty, for dignity. That's the way, way it can be described. And you shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, and that he may minister as priest to me. They were, they shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen. It was, it was colorful, it was royal, it was beautiful, it was dignified, and those same garments that were put on the priest as they were anointed for their royal priesthood in order to minister to God himself, those garments through the good news have been given to you spiritually. Amen. So you can see yourself, hey, I walk with a turban on my head. Now in many cultures today, you have a turban and that is, uh, it's a sign of dignity. Um, here, you know, if a white person wore a turban, people might look a little strangely at them. <laughs> but it's uh, in the ancient culture and in some cultures today, yeah, they wear the turban. It's a sign of dignity. So see yourself. God has put this turban on your head. He's given you these garments 
these royal garments so that you can walk uprightly. He has clothed you. It says in the New Testament, he has clothed you with Christ. And Christ is the great high priest. So this is what the gospel does. It restores us. It renews us. It makes us into mighty trees of righteousness that glorify him. You seeing this? Yeah, yeah. You want to say something? Yes, the turban as a weight. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, you need to keep your head straight and your spine. Yes. It you to walk stately. Ah, that's good. I like that, Patrick. So the turban has a, a weight on it. And you have to walk upright. You have to walk stately. It teaches you to do it because it would really knock you over if you did not walk properly. So the first point, which was meant to be the second point, <laughs> but the first point for today is walk stately because you have been freed from the slavery of sin. You've been freed from Egypt's bondage. You are no longer a slave. And you have been freed for a purpose to bring restoration to others. And we are to walk stately even in our suffering, even in our pain, even when we're at a loss. God has still anointed us. And we are the carriers of his kingdom. So this brings us to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is where I was going to start originally. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We were here last week. We're repeating this, but then we're moving forward. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So, yes, you have been slaved, but I mean, sorry. Yes, you have been saved, not slaved. Yes, you have been saved from slavery. Yes, you have been saved. But there is this pulling. It's almost like a magnet to try to get you back into that slavery mindset and sin. And sin, when you are uh, addicted to sin and when sin's in your life, it does create that that cycle of bondage, you are oppressed, but God has set us free from that, not to walk in it any longer. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So we need to be warned that there's going to be a pull, and the pull comes from the world. The magnet comes from the world. It comes from the devil and his temptations. But it also comes from the biggest enemy is the enemy within, which is the flesh, our sinful nature. And when things were hard, what were the Israelites saying? They were saying, oh, we so want to go back to Egypt. And they remember the food the garlic and the leeks and all, all that we had, and here you've brought us out to die, Moses. 
there was that longing in their heart to go back. But going back would have meant slavery. And then it teaches us, then Paul is going to teach us how we walk free. How do we stand firm in freedom? You go to verse 13 now in Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So here now he tells us how are we going to walk free from the flesh and its bondage. But I say walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. We'll just stop here. The first three have to do with sexual sin. And the Greek there, the first one is porneia, porneia, where we get pornography today. And so the first thing he says is the flesh is, is manifested. The deeds of the flesh, is, they're manifested in this porneia, in this sexual immorality. The next word is uncleanness. The, the next word after that, sensuality, it's this overindulgence in uh, uncleanness and lust. Then it goes on to say, and so it describes the flesh here. So when we see these things in our life, the only way to conquer them is through walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the anointing, walking with God's grace active in our lives. And so I'm teaching you how to do that. You do that by realizing that you've been set free, walk stately. And the next point I'm making is walk scripturally, walk scripturally. We're going to see that soon. Now, sometimes we would, sin would deceive us in thinking, oh, these things are okay. It's okay. And Jesus forgives me. But the word is like a sword which divides between soul and spirit, between flesh and spirit. And so the word is coming like a sword, and it's making it clear to us that this way, these things are not right. It goes on to say idolatry. Next thing is sorcery, which is pharmakeia, especially has to do with drugs and people are uh, all trying to get relief through uh, all these recreational drugs. We're not talking here much about medicine. We're talking about this, uh, this witchcraft. Yeah, mind-altering things. So we have sorcery, enmities. Now that... The next part of the list, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, all, all in the same list with the sexual sins and the witchcraft is disputes, and anger, envying, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And then he says that this is not all. If I had, basically, if I had, uh, you know, a few books, I couldn't, I couldn't put down in words 
all the sins of the flesh. So he goes on to say, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the flesh. That's the way of the flesh. But now we have here the fruit of the Spirit. And I like to meditate on this more. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. So the second point I want to make today is if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we need to walk scripturally. Walk scripturally. Some people make a contrast between the Scripture and the Spirit of God. And... There's a lot of Christians who think like this, but they wouldn't say this, but they think like this. They think Scripture is bad, it's dry, it's not good. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He's good. He's powerful, but the Scripture, it's dead and dry and, and boring. But oh, the Spirit. That's how many people think. But there's a, another segment of the church that thinks like this. The Holy Spirit, oh, I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit moving. The Holy Spirit is bad. But the Scripture is good and great and let's be scriptural. But what the Bible teaches us is something different. It teaches us that the Scripture is God-breathed. It means the Scripture came by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what we read here. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture and the Spirit are one. So the Scripture is good, pure, perfect, lovely. It's not dead and dry. It's people who read it in the flesh that make it dead and dry. And they, they put their own interpretation on it. There, It's the flesh. And reading it in the flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything we do in our Christian walk, has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We read the Scripture in the Spirit. We cannot even fellowship rightly without the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fellowship rightly, to do ministry, to pastor, to sing, to worship, every single thing. Even, I want to say, the job that you do normally and you're good at, you need to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, you do it in worship to God. It becomes about pleasing Him. It's not about doing my work and just making money. It's about pleasing Him. Housework. You know you can do housework in the power of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I was cleaning the counter last night before bed. Eva's been really good at cleaning and tidying. And, but whatever you do, we do here the setup here, and uh, let's do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And we needed to this morning because <laughs> I got to it a little bit late. <laughs> Everything we are to do 
in the Spirit, by the Spirit. So the Scripture comes from the Holy Spirit, and thus it has to be read in the Spirit. God's Word is like a sword, and I want us to see this in Hebrews chapter 4.12. Hebrews chapter 4.12. God's Word is like a sword, and it divides between soul and spirit. Well, what does that mean, that God's Word divides between soul and spirit? Well, let's go to Hebrews. I'm still trying to... Get there myself. Hebrews chapter 4.12, a classic, a classic verse, one that is worth memorizing. And it's all in the context of Sabbath rest. And if there's anything that can expose our flesh, it's our unwillingness to enter into Sabbath rest, where we let God do the work rather than us doing the work. Sabbath rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. One of the reasons why we cannot walk in the Spirit is we're carrying those burdens. The old burdens and the old garments. And we've got to lay those burdens down. Come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And we can enter into that rest every day. And it helps having a day of rest each week, practicing Sabbath, to actually bring Sabbath into your everyday life. So Sabbath is one of the keys to walking in the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to say, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active. It's not dead. It's not dry. It's living and active. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than a sword. It's like a sword, and then sharper than a sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from its sight, but all things are open and laid bare, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. One of the things that the word of God does, as we see here, is it divides between soul and spirit, and we can also say it divides between the flesh and the spirit. What is the flesh? It's the soul without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The flesh is our strength and our power. And here's the thing you need to know about the flesh is that the flesh is, it has two sides to it, a good side and an evil side. Anybody have a coin? Anybody have a coin? Nobody has a coin. I forgot to bring a coin. Yeah, you've got a coin? Okay. Yeah, you can toss it. Yeah, there we go. Here. We have a heads and we have a tails. The head and the tail. This is nice one here. We got the queen on one side, and we got the koalas on the other. But for this illustration, the flesh is one coin. On one side is good, on the other side is evil. 
The flesh can have its good side. And Paul was talking about that when he talked about trying to please God with his own righteousness. He was doing all these good things. But it was still his own flesh. He was not doing that through the power of God. He was doing that uh, to kind of please other people. And so one of the deceptive things about the flesh is it has a good side and wants to look good. And there's many good things we can do in our flesh. The other side of the flesh is the evil side. And we read about that here especially. Things like sexual sin and idolatry and anger and rage. And most people would realize that's not good. But we have to realize that the good and the evil are both the one coin of the flesh. Both the one coin of the flesh. And so God has called us to a different way of living. The Spirit gives us life. You can think about it like the two trees in the garden. You have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then you have the tree of life. Now notice that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is both good and evil, or good and bad, it could be translated. And that tree opened Adam and Eve's eyes. Yet, it led to death. Death and, corru and corruption. And this is what the flesh does. Now, there's a lot of people today eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And today, it's often called the woke culture. Have you heard of this? The woke culture? Well, people declare themselves as, I'm woke. And that they see now, and they have... Now they have the moral authority to cancel everybody else out. And, of course, they're seeing something, but what they're seeing is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then there's the tree of life. And it's different than being woke. It's being awakened by the Spirit. Now, when we walk in the Spirit, we're walking by the power of God's life which does not just condemn people, uh, but extends mercy toward them. So the heart of the good news is not just screaming out, we want this person dead because they did something wrong, but we want to see God's restoration in both parties. We want to see God's mercy and grace in birth both parties because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have today a modern example of what was there right in the Garden of Eden. We got the woke culture, but we are part of those who have been awakened by the Spirit. So we live differently. We're not living according to the flesh. The sword of the Word of God has to cut to our hearts so that we realize where we are in the flesh, uh, where we're operating. Sorry, let me say it like this, where we're operating in the flesh. And it's possible to minister in the flesh, and we don't want to do that because it's not good. It may look good to others. It may get the praise of men, and the Pharisees did that. Here's your coin back. Uh, I'll throw, yeah, you say after, after he's got uh, so much of his hands on it. What I'll do is I'll put it right here. You can take it afterwards if you would like to. 
Where was I? The sword of the word needs to cut our hearts so we are able to distinguish between the flesh and the spirit. And the word of God does that. It, it cuts to our heart and our soul, our soul, our soul, soul wants things. The soul has desires. The soul wants to be comforted, but is often looking to the wrong place for comfort. And so we have our own reasoning. The soul, in the soul realm, we have our own reasoning. We have our own desires. We have our uh, emotions, which we tend to be led by our emotions, our reasoning, and our desires. And when you're led by your emotions, your reasoning, and your desires, you're not led by the Holy Spirit. So there is a higher way to be led. And that is by the Holy Spirit. And the, when you get into the Word of God and when you let the Word of God get into you, it cuts to the heart. It reveals your heart and teaches you the way of the Spirit. Now we're going to see this with Peter. Go to John 21.15. This is the main story I'd like to share today. John 21, 15. And over the weeks, we've been working through this portion or this uh, section of Scripture, starting from Jesus' resurrection, and then the disciples uh, were in hiding in a room, and then they were on a beach, and this continues this time of the disciples on the beach after they caught this great catch of 153 large fish. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And he has this charcoal fire going on where he's cooking breakfast and having breakfast with his disciples. John 21, 15 says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, ten, my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved or he was hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now here's the scene. Peter and the disciples are before a charcoal fire. Jesus is making them breakfast. Does this remind you of any other scene in the Gospels? No. I mean, that's, I mean, there's some, oh, maybe there's some connection there. A charcoal fire? Peter? <laughs> yeah, look at John. Go over to John 18, uh, John 18, 12. Go over to John 18, 12. 
We'll, we'll, start, we'll, go all the, we'll go to 1818. We'll go forward. We see that Simon Peter was following Jesus, and it says in verse 18, Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire. For it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So the very scene here speaks of something. And what was Peter doing before that fire? A few days before all this, or maybe this is now a couple weeks or so. We see that Peter is, denies Jesus three times. Amen? Are we awake? Verse 19, then the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered. We see Jesus answering. And then if you keep on going... You go over to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And immediately the rooster crowed. These were the second two denials. But he, he made one just before that in verse 17. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. So notice how Peter denies him three times before the fire. He is warming himself with the fire of this world, but not the fire of Christ. You see, there's two fires. You can warm yourself with your own fire, or the world's fire, and you can warm yourself with that. That's the flesh. Or you can warm yourself with the fire of the Holy Spirit. But here's the good thing about the fire of the Holy Spirit. The fire of the Holy Spirit always restores us, empowers us. And there before the charcoal fire with Jesus, Jesus was restoring Peter by asking him those three questions. Now, Peter himself was surprised that he denied Jesus three times. It was when the rooster crowed that he woke up and he realized, oh, I did the very thing that Jesus said I would do, but I told him I wasn't going to do it. And if you look at John 13, 37, you can remember these famous words. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. There's Peter, his ambition, his intention. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Another time, Peter said, if everybody forsakes you, I'm not going to forsake you. And the disciples all said the same thing. But they needed to learn that they cannot walk with Jesus or be loyal to Jesus in the power of their own strength, in their own flesh. Our flesh will always deny Jesus. And so Peter had to learn through the sword of Jesus' word, which cut, to, cut him right to the heart, he had to learn that he cannot walk 
by the power of the flesh. We cannot follow Jesus by our own strength, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is both good news and bad news. It's bad news for your flesh, which needs to be crucified, but thank God. But it's good news because we can only follow God through his power, and he's come to live inside of us. And so when we're feeling weak, what do we do? We lean on him. Like somebody is walking and they may get off balance and they have a, a walking stick, they can lean on the stick. When we feel that we are losing our balance in God, it, we trust in the Lord. We put our trust in Him. He is with us. We remind ourselves that He is with me. And I cannot walk without leaning on Him. I cannot walk without His strength and with his, without His power. Now, what was the heart of the matter going back to those three questions Jesus asked, John 21, before the charcoal fire? What was the heart of the matter? What was Jesus getting at? He wanted to know if Peter loved him. And really, this is the way of the Holy Spirit, is the way of love. It's the way of sacrificial love. And this begins to bring us to our last point, is walk sacrificially. Do you love me more than these? It's, it's ambiguous on purpose. So commentators will say, more than these, more than what? Is it more than the other disciples? Is it more than the fish and the nets and his fishing and his old life? Well, I believe it's ambiguous for a reason because the Lord asks us this question. Do you love me more than all the things that are out there in this world? Do you love me more than your wife and your children? Do you love me than more do you love me more than your material possessions? Do you love me more than your love for your fellow brothers and sisters? Do you love me more than these things? The heart of the matter is love. And Jesus doesn't just ask it once, but probes him, searching his heart, asks him over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? You know when somebody asks something at first, you, you say, hey, do you want to go hang out? They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you might ask him again, do you, do you want to hang out? Yeah, yeah. Do you really want to hang out? Well, yeah, you know, I'm a bit busy. And the asking of the question over and over really gets to the heart of the matter. Are they just saying it or do they mean it? And this is what Peter is looking for. This is what Jesus is looking for in Peter. Does he really love Jesus? Now, this repeated questioning, it cuts Peter to the heart where he's grieved and hurt. But this is something you'll find. Jesus repeats himself. He'll repeat the same thing over and over to us. He'll repeat the same question. And the one thing he is after is our love. Do we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because that love comes from the Holy Spirit himself. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's not First and foremost, love for these things, but love for him. Love for him. 
in the end, Peter says, you know everything. You know I love you. And that meant that Peter had to walk sacrificially like Jesus. What does Jesus love? Jesus loves his sheep. We are his sheep. And so if Peter loves Jesus, out of that love, out of that fountainhead of love, Peter, uh, Jesus, sorry, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Out of that fountainhead of love, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. This is what it looks like when we walk in the power of the Spirit. Because we love Jesus, we care for his sheep. And that's what Jesus was after in Peter's heart. But he wanted Peter to do that ministry out of love, not out of his own strength, not out of his own flesh, but the love that comes from the Holy Spirit. And this was also a restoration because Jesus is allowing Peter to care for his sheep. You know, they're, they're his sheep. Feed my sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. They're his. So to allow Peter to care for his sheep is a great trust that Jesus is restoring him and saying, I trust you. You love me. I know that. I tested you. Three times you denied me. But now three times you have confessed your love to me. I am restoring you. You can care for my sheep. And yet this caring for sheep is not just for Peter, but for everyone that loves Jesus. As you grow in Christ, you'll find that you'll have a little flock. Maybe your flock is your family. Maybe your flock is your business. Maybe your flock is your clients. Maybe your flock is some people at work. But ask the Lord, what is my flock? And you're called to feed them. But how are you to feed them? Feed them the word of God. When you walk in the spirit, you walk sacrificially. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. It's about pleasing him. It's about doing his work. It's about caring for his sheep. And it's not merely for those who are called to be pastors, but all of us who have been born of the spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, you carry the cross. And when you walk in the Spirit, you crucify the flesh and that self-life. Yeah. And if you fall, God loves to restore. He will restore you. He will restore you. He is a restoring God. Patrick came up to me before service, and he brought this book. Interestingly, well, this is Watchman Nee, The Release of the Spirit. This is a good book. Interestingly, the very thing that God put on my heart to talk about, about the soul and the spirit and the division of the soul and the spirit and how the word of God separates and divides the soul and the spirit, 
soul and the spirit. That's what Watchman Nee talks about here. And Patrick came up with that same section. He said, uh, this is on my heart. Well, he didn't know what I was going to speak about, but it was just confirmation that the Lord is speaking, and he had this, he had this straight on, on his heart. I'll just read some of this. The book's falling to pieces. It's an old book. I don't want it to break in pieces. Here the Lord gives us the standard and criteria criterion for dividing. What constitutes a revelation by the Holy Spirit? How, how much must we see before it is a revelation? Hebrews 4.13 can help us answer this. Revelation enables us to see what God sees. Revelation enables us to see what God sees. And that's what the Scripture does. That's why walking in the Spirit, we need to walk scripturally because the Scripture shows us and reveals to us what God sees. And so, so today, I want to encourage you with those three things. Walk stately because you've been set free. And when you walk in the Spirit, you walk stately. And then walk scripturally. The Scripture empowers us to walk in the Spirit and gives us discernment between the soul and the Spirit. And then walk sacrificially to walk carrying our cross. And with sacrificial love, but a love that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we're going we're gonna to pray. Father, we thank you for this example of Peter. He wanted to follow Jesus. He didn't want to deny Jesus, but he didn't know the power of the Holy Spirit. His flesh was weak, but the Spirit was willing. But there was a whole transformation that happened in Peter after the resurrection. And to walk in the Spirit means to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through these encounters with Jesus after the resurrection, Peter began to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the power of the Spirit, to walk in, in a love that comes from God Himself, the very love that we love God with, comes from God Himself. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So as we started off this morning, I pray for Your anointing to heal and restore us, like Isaiah 61, putting on those new royal garments on us that we can walk stately with the turban on our head, knowing that we've been forgiven, we've been freed, and we don't want to go back to that old life. Thank you for the sword. It teaches us. It divides. It exposes our hearts. 
Let us be willing to allow the sword to pierce our hearts just like it pierced Peter's heart. And may we walk carrying our cross. Those two things which seem paradoxical, to walk stately, to walk carrying our cross. Help us, Lord, to do that. And I pray for those at home that your healing anointing would come to restore their hearts and take the burdens off of them so that they can walk free and they can represent your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let this word do its work in us.